Our scripture reading today is taken from Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 to 30. Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 30. I know that you, through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to see you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Go ahead, open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Go ahead and park them there. And you guys know this story about Paul. We've got Paul. He's facing this life or death situation. So at the time he wrote this, he is in prison uh, waiting to present his case to Caesar. Uh, and if he wins, he goes about his career, his life, life's work. He's planting churches. He's preaching the gospel. And of course, Paul is pro- after Jesus, Paul is probably the most prolific Christian in history, right? So we, he's got good work. But on the other hand, if it doesn't go well for him, right, and he loses the appeal, uh, he dies. He's going to be executed. And yet, you know what he says about the outcome? He says, you know, really, Lord, either way. And he writes this famous verse, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And make no mistake about it, because Christ is the object of both sides of that sentence. But in either outcome, Paul says he will triumph. And I'm going to give it away a little bit, right? But either way, Paul's going to get Christ, right? Paul, but Paul's going to show us why that's a big deal. That's not just a throwaway line, Okay. What it means practically, he's going to show us why he's not discouraged, why he's not doubling his Lexapro. You can laugh, it's okay. And here's why. He has a definition of life that enables him to face any outcome. And what he's saying in this passage is, it's not your circumstances 
It's not the circumstances of your life, okay? It's not whether things go well for you. It's the way you define your life that will determine whether you stand or fall. So, you know, anytime we're waiting to hear the news back, right, uh, about something we really care about, you've been praying about it, there's this angst, isn't there? You can feel it, right? Will I get what I want? Uh, Will my spouse be healed by that surgery he just had? Will we get approved for the refi so we can stay in the house? There's this angst. We're waiting. We're anxious. We're hoping, right? And we're freaked out. I just have to have X. But what's going to happen? The good or the bad? And a lot of times we're just stressing out. So how do we react like Paul, who however it goes, he says solving for X means Christ. So this morning we're to see how we have to approach life's pins and needles moments from three different angles, okay, in order to balance that equation so that Christ is really what we want over and above the outcome. To have the same outlook as Paul. So in any situation, how can we be satisfied and content both when we get what we want and also when we don't? It's the either-or Lord way of life, okay? So three angles of approach. First, how do we face it? Two, who do we live to? And three, how can we be worthy? How do we face it? Who do we live to? And how can we be worthy? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for just the way it guides us and how we can live our lives in faith in Christ and the gospel, Lord. How we can face life circumstances, Lord, uh, in a way that's completely otherworldly. Uh, Lord, I pray you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts so that we can see, hear, and understand what it is you are saying to us today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, how do we face it? Because, oh, the angst we feel, right, when we're in the middle of it. And it doesn't take much, right? What if I'm on that layoff list? What if I fail that final exam? I have to spend an extra semester in college, right? What if uh, little Johnny doesn't make the travel baseball team? Paul's technique here goes to any question, any anxiety we are facing the unknown outcome. And listen, okay, we are so blessed, right? We live in the richest community in the history of humankind, and we're still a mess. (laughs) If you think about it, our true contentment, even though we live like literal kings and queens of old, right? Our true contentment is really paper-thin despite that. It's not going to take much for the Kool-Aid man to bust through that paper-thin wall and ruin our lives, right? I mean, in a million years, I never would have imagined how God would bless Tracy and I and our kids. But you don't see that with Paul. You don't see that uncertainty, that anxiety with him. He's facing death. Can't he go on and continue his ministry, or is he going to die? And he says in verse 20, with full courage, he's going to honor Christ. With full courage, whatever happens. So he doesn't get rattled worrying about what, what the outcome's going to be. So the face he's putting forward in our passage is, either way it turns out, how is God going to turn this into good? And you can check Romans 8.28 for that. He wrote that as well. So he says, whether I'm acquitted uh, or whether I'm released and I go to visit Philippi, uh, you know, whether the axe falls on his head and he instantly is with Jesus, he's literally okay with however it turns out. Philippians 1.20 reads this. Here's what he writes about it. He says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. Let me just say that. You've got to really appreciate when Paul says it, that he wouldn't be ashamed, all right? Because he is admitting here there's a possibility he's going to freak out. Okay? He's real. 
Let me start again. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So we're to face it with full courage. Okay, great, Pastor Blake. That's really easy to say. Let's be, cur- be courageous, right? Let's just buck up. I'll just be tough in the face of adversity, right? You know, and you can do that to a certain extent. And maybe that's your personality, right? But maybe you can put in the effort for a while. But don't get fooled. Because at some point, you're going to face some situation. You'll be facing some outcome where it's not going to be enough. Be careful not to mistake personality traits for spiritual growth. You may be naturally chill, okay? That's a natural personality trait. And, but, you know, maybe the Holy Spirit has grown you over time, right? I get that. And if you are naturally stoic and tough, that's great. But it, it's a long-term strategy that even if you are, that strategy is going to fail because there will be that something that will overpower your toughness. It will overpower your stiff upper lip. And besides, gutting it out is really just a facade anyway because we're in pain as we do it. We look good on the outside. Oh, I'm not worried about it. But inside, it's time for the Pepsi AC. We're churning. But here's Paul's secret, okay? He says his desire really isn't in either outcome. He really doesn't care about what the outcome is, okay? Whether he continues in pastoral ministry and, or even if he gets to be a martyr and be with Christ earlier than he planned, right? His true desire is for Christ. So no matter what the life issue is, Paul's true desire isn't for the good outcome for him. It's for he is serving behind any outcome. Jesus. He is the outcome underneath the outcome. Paul was a prisoner of Jesus long before he was a prisoner of Caesar. So it's not about what makes Paul happy. It's what makes Jesus happy. And when you truly love somebody... You want to make them happy, don't you? You want to make them proud, right? So I am fulfilled, right, when I bring joy to Tracy. And she loves to do the same thing for me, right? So whatever the situation we're going through is, though, okay, it's always secondary. Because whatever happens, I know Tracy is always going to be there for me. And there's that marriage theme that runs through the entire Bible that describes Jesus' relationship with us. He is the spouse that will never leave us. In the same way, though, but a million times since he is God, Jesus will always be there. All right? So if we love Jesus as much as we say we do, right? What a comfort, right? And let me just say, if you're not comforted by that thought, by Jesus, right? Dig down into your heart. Because none of us really love Jesus as much as we should. Don't be ashamed of it. We're all in the same boat, okay? But beneath every single thing in your life is Jesus. And how much you love him over and above whatever it is you really want, okay? That determines your chill about not getting it, okay? How much you love Jesus over and above uh, whatever it is that you really want determines uh, whether you can handle not getting it. It heals your fear of missing out. It assuages your anger. It quenches it. It causes the workaholic to get home in time for dinner. It chills our anxiety, Because Jesus is always there underpinning everything. 
I remember when I was in the throes of my call to preach, and I was in seminary, and all I could think about was preaching. By the way, it's all I can think about now, too, okay? Just diagramming sermons, like how can we close this out and get to the gospel, right? How can I show Jesus, right? Diagramming sermons like football plays, you know, how can I get there? Preaching, preaching, preaching is all I could think about. I'm in seminary, I'm drinking it in, I couldn't get enough, and I was driving somewhere with my father-in-law, and he's like a really wise guy. Very deep theological guy, but he, he only gives me advice every three or four years. It's usually in the form of one sentence. <laughs> so I'm just like, have all this angst. I'm like, what if I'm not called to preach? What, what, what will I have then? And he goes, well, you'll still have Jesus. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Thank you, John. <laughs> so the knife was plunged into my heart, right? <laughs> It was, because my focus was, on, was not on the outcome of preaching or not preaching. It was, it was focused on whether I could preach or not, okay, when it should have been on Jesus. He's the whole point of preaching, isn't he? And I was stuck on the outcome. Can I preach? Yes. Am I going to preach? No. But Jesus is the reason behind it all, and that's the way for everything in life. You click one layer down, and beneath any outcome should always be Jesus. How can I honor him through whatever is happening? How can I, as Paul says uh, in verses 12 and 16, how can I advance the gospel through it? How can I defend the gospel through the outcome, right? So here's an example. Paul is in jail, right? And instead of being a jailhouse lawyer and spending all this time in a law library, scratching out notes to Caesar, trying to get out and pouting and moping around, right? The whole Praetorian guard, Praetorian guard has heard the gospel at this point. If you love Jesus more than any outcome, you can face whatever happens. To live, to get what I want is Christ, and to die and not get what I want is still Christ. You've still got Jesus. Christ is the object of faith on both sides of the equation. So Paul is happy with living to preach another day. He's practical. He says, hey, in verse 22, it's fruitful labor, okay? The Philippians need him to preach. It's more necessary on your account, Philippians. But he also says, you know what? Yeah, he says, yeah, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. He's not even going to take a side, right? Because if he loses, he still gets Jesus. And you know what? That's very brave because I'm still afraid of getting Jesus too soon, Okay? Because he departs and will be with Christ, for that is far better. Epictetus is the name of a Stoic philosopher, and he once wrote this. He says, do not seek to have events happen as you want them to, but instead want them to happen as they do, and your life will go well. He's almost there. He's almost there, right? Christians can let events happen as they do. We don't have to want something so bad that we sin to get it. We don't have to lie and cheat and steal and slander people to get what our goal is, right? It's not that important to us. That helps us not to sin. Isn't that great? And listen, you can do what you can in your own power to get your desire, right? But we don't freak out because Jesus is still the end of whichever one we get. Jesus is still our end. Jesus is the outcome of all outcomes. So how do we look at life like that, like Paul? Oh, we'll just go out and do it, right? Let's close in prayer. 
How do we get ourselves into the frame of looking at possible outcomes and not being so tied to one that it becomes an idol? How do we turn our prayers from, Lord, I really want this above everything else, to what I really want is you, Jesus? Make that our way of life. You know, one of the things that attitude does, though, Jesus is the outcome of outcomes. It turns you into a super resilient person that doesn't get crushed when you don't uh, get what you want. Your world doesn't get rocked so easily anymore, right? That's a sign. So people will look at you and they'll say, man, that was really bad news. I don't know how you took it so well. Then, of course, you can tell them why. But here's Paul's secret. It's our second angle of approach this morning. Living is Christ. Here's a couple of quick thoughts about what living to Christ means. Three things, actually. Because before you can actually live for Christ, you've got to die to a bunch of other other stuff, okay? So you've got to die to sin, self, and the world. To live to Christ, you've got to die to sin, self, and the world. So first, before you can live to Christ, you have to die to sin, right? If you are here and not a Christian today, okay, the first thing you have to recognize is that there is a barrier between you and God, one that was made possible to lower through what Jesus did. So you own that, own that you're a sinner, okay, in need of a Savior, and that's the first step. Otherwise, you never get it over your outcomes. you got no shot. Now, if you are a Christian, okay, ask yourself, are you really dying to sin? Look, a lot of Christians don't even think that they do sin, okay? But listen, you do. And the big problem is, is now you have a choice not to sin. Before, you're a slave to sin. If you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, you can do nothing but sin. But now you have a choice. You've been freed, okay? Because you are no longer a slave to it. Romans 6.2, also by Paul. How can we who died to sin still live in it? He's talking to Christians there the Roman church. Paul is scolding some licentious Roman Christians that they thought that since they accepted Christ as Savior, that it's all good now, right? So, uh, but working with the Holy Spirit, you're going to work with the Holy Spirit, okay? You're listening as your sorrow and your contrition and your heart increases, right? And you're offering that sin to God. It's still there. You might have to dig deeper, dig harder, okay? But when you trade that sin for the grace that Christ offers... The more mature you get as a Christian, the more you recognize that the sin is within you, the cycle of grace starts over and over again. It's grace upon grace, and the Holy Spirit is the engine that drives it. It changes your heart through it. It makes you love Jesus more each time you realize, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. I did it for the 3,500 time, and he still forgives me? Why do I keep doing that? And you love him. So first, die to sin. Secondly, the true Christian dies to self. When things don't go your way, it doesn't bother you so much, right? Paul was equally ready for either decision to be handed down, life or death. So giving up his will to God, right? Exchanging his will for God's will. We have to exchange our will for God's will. Paul says in verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, by the way, that is a nickname for the Holy Spirit, okay? For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Wait a minute. Paul dies in the end. He doesn't get delivered. Listen, the word here for deliverance, the Greek word, is salvation. Well, now you're saying Paul's not saved. 
No, I'm not saying that either, okay? So you can put your pitchforks down, all right? I'm saying he's being saved. You Bible scholars out there know that in the New Testament, uh, the word salvation appears in three different tenses. I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved, okay? Although your salvation is guaranteed, and you can't lose it either, salvation is a process, and we all have a long way to go. So God is not just changing God, uh, Paul's circumstances when he's delivering him, when he is saving him, right? He's changing Paul. Even if it might be all at once, super high speed, when that axe falls at the last second, okay? And Paul is finally made perfect. We are only made perfect. We are only actually sinless when we meet the Lord. It's a shortcut, so to speak. But what Paul is saying is whether I get beheaded or whether I head down to Philippi for a guest preacher series, it's saving me. It's delivering me. It's making me into the man I know God wants me to be. It's making me into more of the person I love in Jesus, okay? More like my Savior. So die to sin, die to self, and lastly, a true Christian begins to die to the world. Listen to what Paul wrote in Galatians 6.14. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the Lord has been crucified, by the world has been crucified to me, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Someone once wrote that dying to the world is a loosening of the mind, an unchaining of the will to all the vanities and pleasures and glories of the world over the kingdom. Our covetousness to all the things that we measure success by starts to fade. So you're not going to freak out as much when the stock market takes or your kid doesn't get straight A's, okay? You're going to begin to reorder your world the more mature you become in Christ. So instead of, I can't make it to church, or I don't have time for a life group because Johnny has baseball, it begins to, be, it begins to become, hey, coach, you know, we're not going to make that game today because we got something at church. Okay, Pastor Blake, how do I pull this off? How do I get this attitude of resiliency, becoming willing to accept things that may not only seem inconvenient, they may be horrible on their face even. How can I advance the gospel like Paul has to the centurions? How can I encourage other Christians like the Philippians who must be in total awe of how he's handling this? He's on death row. How's he doing it? How can I grow in my own salvation as I die to sin, self, and the world? How can I be like Paul says in Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's our last angle of approach this morning. Worthy of the gospel. Let me read all of 127 to you. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you uh, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. When Paul says standing firm in one spirit and in one mind, Calvin wrote that those two Greek terms, whenever they appear next to each other in scripture, uh, they mean spirit and mind together. And he's talking about the will spirit plus mind equal the will of the believer. In one mind means we understand, uh, in one spirit means our soul, and it results in the will of the whole church in one, right? Moving to live for Christ and change, uh, 
and change side by side, okay? There's a unity. There's a community. There's an aspect of that togetherness that you can't get all by yourself, okay? So testimony night, life groups, right? We are seeing and hearing how the gospel works, who Jesus is in ways we never knew he would work before because it's somebody else's life. It's somebody else's story. It's a community aspect. But however our issues, right? However your issues, our issues as a church, however they turn out, okay? Let the way you live, be worthy of the gospel here. Paul's whole concern is that whatever happens, whether the Philippians face any kind of binary choice, right? Good versus bad, and it's going to cause them to suffer. It says it in verse 29, right? There's going to be suffering. And maybe it's not Paul coming back, or maybe they're waiting on the Lord for their own issues, or maybe they're answering personal questions of their own, desires, or what's in the church body. Maybe they're changing the mass policy and they're worried about it, Okay. However that lands, they must stand side by side in mind and in spirit, in one, as they suffer through it. If they're truly living for Christ, however it comes out, shouldn't matter. And that is worthy of the gospel. That's going to come up here now and play while I close. And look how it turned out for Jesus He had a series of trials, didn't he? And in each one, he could have been found innocent. In fact, Pilate did find Jesus innocent. (laughs) Jesus could have been freed. He could have got the better outcome, right? I am glad that Jesus did not get the better outcome. (laughs) You know why? Because I know that he got the outcome that I deserve. That's how I can face the bad outcome. Because Jesus faced it for me first, for my deliverance for your deliverance, for our salvation. And that's really the whole point. If we stand firm in the gospel, to live isn't whether God gives you a beach house or makes your dreams come true. It's really about Christ. He is the outcome of outcomes. That's worthy of the gospel and what Christ really died for on the cross. So how can you get it down in your heart? Okay, I'm going to tell you. If you look at John 17, 19 for homework, okay? Jesus is praying to his father. He says this about his disciples. And for their sake, I consecrate myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. The NASB reads, for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified. What Jesus is saying there is that he is living for us. To Christ, to live is you. And for him to die is our gain. He did it for you. So Jesus is saying that I lived for them and his dying was our gain. Everything he did was for us, for our sakes. If we really understand what Jesus has done for us, if we look at him as incarnate life and we see him dying on the cross, if we, we, we see him die, we see him live for us. Jesus says us in one, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit together, the Trinity. That's why you can live to Christ because he lived to us. He's saying, I'm willing to do anything I have to for you. You are my end. You are God's end. If you think about that and pray about that and meditate on it, if we do that together as a church, if we live for Christ like he lived and died for us in one mind, in one spirit, living for Christ's sake, 
That's the one spirit and mind combination that activates our will. That's the only thing that will do it, to live as Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you, Lord. You lived for our sakes. You died uh, for our sakes. Your death was our gain. Everything you did was for us, Lord. We are the end of you, Lord. So help us for you, Jesus, to be our end. Help us to love you in a way that whatever our outcome is, that you are the real outcome at the back end, Lord. That we can love you in a way, Lord, that we're comforted uh, in the good times and in the bad times, Lord. That we don't make an idol out of, Lord, please give me X, but Lord, that our focus is on you. Help us to love you in a way uh, that we're comforted by that in the bad times. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.